Um, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're starting at the first verse. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be, to be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Amen. Uh, thanks so much for, for reading the passage for us. Um, we are continuing our series in Ephesians, uh, if you just joined us, and we've been looking since the start of the latter, and we'll continue to the end of the latter over the next couple of weeks. And the question that I want to ask you today for this lunchtime is, how does church grow? And how does church grow? May I suggest that this is one of the most important uh, questions to get clear in your Christian life. See, church is, is essential to your Christian walk. It determines whether you, you grow as an individual. It determines whether you invite your non-Christian friends to church. And understanding how church grows helps you to make good decisions about church. One of the beauties of a lunchtime talk like this is that many of you come from different churches and you are in different situations. Some of you have been in a church for many years. Uh, perhaps some of you have just changed a church, or perhaps some of you are looking for a church to join. But whatever situation you're in, it's really useful uh, to be clear on this question. I mean, how does church grow? Uh, just to put it out there, I'm not uh, intending to do an assessment on your church. In fact, I, I don't know many of the churches that you guys go to. But I'm really keen to help us see what the Bible says about church and for you to make your own assessment. It's also really useful for us here at Common Garden Talks just to understand um, how church grows. I mean, technically speaking, you might say that maybe we are not a church. We're not your typical local church. But we are 
the body of Christ. Uh, we are believers coming together. So you might ask, how, how do we at Covent Garden Talks grow? Uh, maybe you are not a follower of Jesus. Um, and I would like to suggest that this question is also really useful to consider. Uh, perhaps you've been to church before uh, since you were growing up, or you might be confused about the whole range of churches out there. And so it's good to know uh, like what the Bible says about how different churches grow. Uh, let me share you a couple of experiences of my own uh, church experiences as I've been growing up, seeing different churches. Uh, the first strategy I've, I've seen for uh, that churches use is what I call a start a project strategy. And the strategy involves organizing many projects for people to be involved in. And it involves a lot of good things, helping the, the community, raising funds uh, for different causes. And the strategy involves involving people uh, so that they feel engaged. The second strategy I've, I've seen before is called the entertainment strategy. And the, the strategy involves um, that each Sunday is, is an experience. Um, the, it could either range from a mu musical or a worship experience or a very ritualistic experience. And the members come each week uh, to be consumers of that experience. And the, the aim of that strategy is to provide a really good um, experience on, on Sunday uh, to sustain the members for the week. The third strategy I've, I've seen before, and perhaps you heard of others, but a third one I've seen is called the community strategy. And the, the focus is on building strong communal bonds within the congregation. Uh, you usually have a high number of social events. And the strategy is that the social bonds is the thing that keeps people within the church. And you might say that it's, it's not an either or, uh, churches worldwide employ a variety of strategies. Uh, so let me ask, what exactly grows the church? Is it the projects? Is it keeping the congregation entertained? Or is it communities? Uh, for those who've been joining us so far in the context, uh, in the letter of Ephesians, uh, you might remember the context of the letter. Remember the Ephesian church, uh, they are really worried about Paul's imprisonment, about Paul's chains. And we saw in the first half of this letter uh, that the chains, rather than being a discouragement, uh, was an encouragement. Uh, Paul tells them that his chains is proof that the resurrection power is at work in him. But the question is, um, how does the church grow in Paul's absence? Or well, how does it grow when the foundation of the apostles and the, the prophets are going, going to go? And so each week, what we do here in our lunchtime talk is to see what God has to say. And so that's where we turn to our passage today. Uh, the first thing to note about our passage is that our passage is, is a passage all about, about growth. Uh, look at verse 13. That is to attain to the unity or the oneness of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him. And verse 16 uh, makes 
when each part works properly together, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, this passage is, is all about growth. Paul, he is mixing his metaphors. Uh, you have a body and a building. You have growth and being built up. So it's all about how the body grows or the temple, the building, gets built up. Now, the second thing to, to note about this passage is how it starts. So look to chapter 4, verse 1 at your Bibles. So it starts with, I, therefore... And a good question to ask, the classic question to ask whenever you see a therefore, is to ask, why is it there for? And it's there because of what was said in chapters 2 and 3. And what we saw over the past couple of weeks was that resurrection power is coursing through believers' veins as they battle against sin. And they have new life. Um, as they come together as God's people, they are God's new temple. And as we saw the resurrection power in working in Paul, uh, that confirms his stewardship or his authority over them. Uh, because the resurrection power is giving them new life, making them into a new temple, and because Paul has authority over them, uh, therefore, or therefore, therefore what? Uh, that's where we come to point one of our talk today. Therefore, walk as one. A walk as one. Uh, look down to verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility with, and patience and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another, and love eager to maintain the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, what does um, walking look like it looks like to be walking with humility and gentleness to walk as as one i want to suggest there's a there's a good reason why i chose the word one instead of united uh, verse three the word unity is literally oneness and the root word is same as the the seven ones that come up in verse four to six but another, another reason why one is, is better, I think, than, than unity is because um, there's a lot of misunderstanding of the word unity uh, today. Uh, currently, I think uh, people suggest that we can achieve unity by blurring the boundaries of truth. Uh, we achieve unity at the cost of truth. Let me give you an example. Uh, the Singapore Church, which is where I grew up from, um, has a movement to, to unite the churches. But with that movement, uh, there is a very broad definition of what is a true church. And as a result, churches which, which peddle the prosperity gospel are also included in that category. See, it's achieving unity at the cost of truth. Um, perhaps you might also say in the Church of England uh, today, uh, personally, I, I don't know enough to, to comment. Uh, but I hear that the truth about the need to repentance is being blurred um, over the need to be united. See, blurring the lines of truth for the purpose of unity. But that is opposite to what Paul is saying. See, Paul, I think, is suggesting that we achieve oneness by being one in the truth. The direction of travel is towards the truth. And you can see that in the basis of where the oneness 
is from, look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. One spirit, one Lord, one God, one truth. Uh, later on in our passage, he also warns them from false teachings. So oneness is achieved by becoming one in the truth, not by blurring the boundaries of truth. So oneness, more than unity. Um, of course, oneness does involve and result in unity, but I think oneness goes further than unity. At the first point, Paul says to walk, uh, to walk as one. And at this point, I think it's good to pause and to, to ask ourselves, well, are we, are we walking as one? Uh, are we humble? Are we gentle? Are we patient with one another? Uh, do we bear with one another in, in love? Uh, do we hear at Covent Garden Talks? Do we walk as one? Um, personally, I, I haven't been in this role for a long time, uh, but I would like to say, uh, yes, I think just over the past few months, uh, there have been numerous examples of people trying to bear with one another and love uh, behind the scenes something that doesn't happen just on a Thursday, but during the week. And I would like to suggest if you're new with us today, uh, it's worth getting to know this community. I mean, in many ways, uh, we are not perfect, but in many ways, we, we do. Uh, we do walk as one. But Paul, he, he doesn't stop there. Uh, he goes on to explain how. How is the oneness achieved? How does the church grow into that oneness and that's where we come to point two on your handout point two by each one doing his part look down to verse seven but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of christ's gift therefore it says when he ascended on high he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and saying that he ascended, what does it mean? But also he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is also the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Uh, in these verses, uh, they are pretty dense verses. But the thing to know is that it's a quote that comes from Psalms 68, right out of the Old Testament. And the scene that you should have in your mind it's a scene from the Lord of the Rings or, or Troy or King Arthur, where the victorious king or the victorious lord is marching to his temple. And behind him, there's a train of captives in chains following behind him. And at the same time, he's giving gifts uh, to the people. And that's the picture there in verse 8. Uh, just a food for thought, um, perhaps Paul is suggesting that he being in chains, uh, he is that captive. And maybe the captives themselves are the gifts uh, to men. That's something you can, you can think about. I think the point of what Paul um, is saying here is that the giving of gifts is something that has been embedded in the Old Testament. And more than that, he's saying that it's the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus that accomplishes this giving of gifts. That's why he says, verse 9 to 10, 
In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended to into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. It's the resurrection of Jesus that achieves the giving of gifts. But um, what are the gifts? What are the gifts? I look to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or if you like, pastors, and teachers. Uh, I'm not sure what's the best way to, to classify or categorize this group of people. Uh, people suggest uh, the term word gifts. And the reason why they say that is because these gifts are specifically individuals who, who teach, who to teach people with words. Um, I perhaps might use the term word ministers um, because minister is just a term for someone who, who serves. So someone who serves with the word. And what do they do at verse 12? Their role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And it's quite a striking thought if you, if you think about it. Those who equip you uh, are gifts from, from the risen Lord as established in the Old Testament. Uh, if your local church pastor, he equips you with God's word. Uh, he is, is a gift uh, from the risen Lord Jesus to you. And so there's a large significance placed on um, the, the word ministers who, who serve by equipping the saints. And we, we may get the idea that it's only that they, uh, the word ministers, that help to grow the church. But it's a surprise that comes after in verse 12. So look at verse 12. Uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You see, the, the word ministers alone are not responsible for the building. Uh, it's the saints. Everyone is equipped for the work, equipped for building the body. And consider how this is encouraging for the Ephesian church, the first recipients of this letter. See, as the church moves towards a post-apostolic age, uh, apostles, when the apostles die, or when the apostles are in chains, well, everyone is, is part of this church building process. It's not solely dependent on the apostles. Um, it's, it's everyone. And of course, it, it doesn't shift from the apostles. And they are the foundation. And we've seen that in chapter 2, verse 20. They are the foundation on which the church is built on. But everyone, everybody doing his or her part. And immediately that debunks the, the entertainment strategy. Uh, that The minister is there to entertain and the congregation there is there to consume. See, church is, is, is not a concert. It's not that concerts are, are wrong. It's just not how church grows. Um, who, who builds the church? It's, it's everyone. Uh, both the, the word minister and the saints are each doing his part. Well, what's the outcome when each one does his part? Uh, Paul gives us one positive outcome and one negative Outcome. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of faith 
a oneness of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Uh, the positive image, a fully grown man, someone who is mature, someone who's experienced in life, reliable, steadfast, and wise. But the negative image is a child, an infant, someone who's unable to take care of himself, a crying at the slightest problem, gullible, led astray by false teachings, a tossed to and fro by waves. Uh, 10 years ago, I, I was traveling with, with a couple of mates and we were very keen to, to, try, uh, to try surfing out. Uh, so we rented uh, our wetsuits and our surfboards and we were armed with a grand total of 15, 15 minutes of surfing videos on YouTube. And we hit the waves with expectations of um, riding our first, first wave. Uh, what didn't happen? Uh, for the next hour or so, we were tossed to and fro uh, by the waves, a tumble like, like in a washing, washing machine. You see, when, when the word ministers, uh, they don't equip. And when the saints, uh, they are not part of the building process. But the church is, is like a child, a tossed to and fro in the waves, swayed by every false teaching. Uh, we've, we've seen who's involved and what's the outcome. But what actually builds the church? What actually causes the church to grow? Lastly, look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is how the building grows. Uh, this is how growth happens. It's when people speak the truth in love to one another. Well, firstly, it must involve speaking. That's interesting. Uh, it's, it's a building that is not done with your hands. Uh, it's a building which is done with your, your mouth uh, speaking. But next, we, we speak the truth, a truth in love. And it's worth clarifying that the truth here is, is not just honest words, but capital T, uh, the truth. The, the word of truth, the gospel truth. And chapter 1, verse 13, the word of truth. Uh, it's the truth that we've been seeing in chapter 2. A truth that we have new life by the resurrection power in Christ. Truths that we've been made the new temple by the resurrection power. And speaking about those truths, and that is the thing that builds the body. Um, you, you may be, be surprised uh, that um, I, I used to go to the gym um, fairly regularly um, back in the day. Uh, since lockdown, I've gained about three, three, three kilograms. Um, but you guys know how, how building muscles work, right? So you, um, the, the idea is that you create micro tears in your muscles and you regenerate those muscles by eating more protein into your body. Uh, what do you do? You, you cut your carbs, you cut out sugar, uh, you eat meat and vegetables, you eat really clean. And what do you drink? You drink, you drink uh, a protein shake, uh, not just any protein shake, uh, but this protein shake. It's optimum nutrition, gold standard, 100% whey. Uh, that's the proper protein shake 
that you drink. It's the protein that feeds the muscles. It's the protein which causes the muscles to grow and to be built. And that's the same idea with, with the truth. And as we, we speak the truth of gospel truths in love to one another, that's the thing which causes the church to grow. So how does growth happen? Um, it's as everybody speaks the truth in love to one another. Now let's try to bring together what we've been seeing. Um, who builds? It's both the word minister and the saints. Everyone is part of the building process. What builds? Well, it's speaking the truth, the gospel truth in love, which builds the church. So how does church grow? It's when the word minister equips and everyone speaks. When the word minister equips and everyone speaks. When everyone speaks the truth. And we've really talked about the entertainment strategy, but I think this also debunks the start a project strategy or the community strategy. See, because projects themselves and communities themselves, uh, they don't grow the church. Uh, it's the truth which grows the church. And I'm not saying that projects and having community are wrong. Uh, there's nothing wrong with projects or having a community. Uh, that happens in community clubs or in the golf clubs. But I am saying that it doesn't grow the church. It's only the truth. As the, the, the people in the body of Christ, they speak the truth to one another. That's the thing which grows the church. And think about the Ephesian church. Imagine how much confidence this gives to them. Uh, Paul is in, in prison, uh, but they have all they need. Uh, they have his words in a letter. Uh, they have their ministers to teach them and equip them, the apostles' words. And they can speak to one another. And they have all they need to grow the church. Uh, for us, I think it gives us real clarity on, on what grows the church. Uh, perhaps it might cause you to be really thankful for the church that you're in. I'm really thankful for what your church is doing as your ministers equip you with the word. Or perhaps it might cause you to rethink uh, the church you're in. Um, if your church, the ministers are not equipping you with the word and speaking the truth doesn't happen in church, uh, it might cause you to rethink uh, the church you're in. It also explains what we do here at Covent Garden Talks. Uh, in one sense, my role here is simply to equip you with, with the truth, with God's word, and your role is to, to speak the truth to one another. And that is why we, we have breakout groups after this, uh, for you to be speaking the truths to one another. But really consider this thought as we, as we close. Um, as as uh, my, my vocal cords uh, vibrate, and as these words come out of my mouth and hits the mic here, that's just, just on here, and it travels through the internet and it hits your speaker and it comes to you and those sound waves hit your ear, um, as the Holy Spirit uses those vibrations to impress those words into your hearts and minds, uh, we are in this moment uh, building the greatest building project of all time. Uh, we are building God's temple as we speak truth to one another. We are growing the church as we speak truth to one another. Uh, what a thought. What a great privilege. Uh, why don't I, I pray for us as we close? Brother, speaking 
the truth in love, that we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, we praise you for your design of how the church grows, and we pray so much that we might be thankful for our churches, for our ministers who labor in teaching the word and equipping the word uh, to us. We pray that we likewise might be good at speaking the truth to one another. And we praise you for the Lord Jesus. And we praise you that right now, he is at your right hand, causing your body to grow. In his name we pray. Amen.